In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, it's lovely to be with you all here today. Um, I want to start off uh, our reflection by just telling you a story. Um, last year in September, around this time, my grandmother had departed, and we all gathered um, in her apartment. She lived in a not-so-affluent neighborhood. And, um, you know, I stayed with the family for some time, and then as I was leaving her apartment complex, I, um, I opened this gate, um, and there I saw a woman on the ground. Um, she looked very intoxicated. She had a bottle of liquor um, next to her, and she said to me, um, can you please hold the door? Um, I'm locked out. Can you please hold the door? And, um, and I said, sure. And um, as I was holding the door, the thought that came to my mind was, um, I hope that she doesn't kind of like rub against me as she's walking in um, because she probably hasn't bathed for several months. Um, and then I got into my car and I sat down uh, and I felt very convicted by the Holy Spirit, um, who I believe said to me um, uh, that, that your chief concern was how the order of this woman might impact you. You did not think about, is she a mother? Is she a sister? Uh, why is she sleeping on the bare ground at night? Um, and, you know, I tell this story to my shame um, that um, everything about the gospel, about loving one's neighbor, about showing mercy, showing compassion, was totally absent. Um, and then I remembered that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in, uh, in also in much. In other words, uh, you know, sometimes we have this very lofty idea about going out and, and, um, and, and being loving to our enemies and, and, um, and, you know, conquering sin and doing all this stuff. Um, but we struggle to follow the, the commandments within our own home. And it occurred to me that if I'm going to try to love this person, this drunk person on the street, I need to first learn how to love my own wife appropriately. Because if I'm struggling to love my own wife, I'm probably not gonna be able to keep a commandment like love your enemy or, or, or um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, including this woman who is on the street. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what the research is suggesting about the ways that we sometimes can be unloving in our relationship. Um, so our home is the arena where we do spiritual battle. And sometimes we've created this false dichotomy that you go to church to do spiritual things and then when you're at home, I mean, you're at home, you're cooking dinner, you're changing diaper, you're playing with the kids. But we often don't think of the home as the spiritual battle where we cultivate the heart. And so some of the things that I want to bring up to you is um, uh, there has been four decades of research 
uh, done on this about how we can sometimes show up in ways that are very unloving to people who we purport love us and we love them. And so I'm going to take you to what has been referenced in the research as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is a biblical reference regarding the end time, the signs of the end time. They have to do with pestilence. They have to do with, with death and war. Uh, so those are things that are really, really harmful to our relationship. The first one, which we are all very familiar with, is criticism. And, and criticism is um, saying something that is um, a generalized statement about the other person. It, it typically starts with, you always, you never, right? You always do this, you never help in this way. Um, and it's also a way to make our pain about the character flaw of our, our partner our spouse, our fiance, whatever it may be. So if I'm hurt that you came late, I don't talk about my hurt. I talk about you being irresponsible, you lacking punctuality. And the second um, horseman of the apocalypse is um, defensiveness. And defensiveness could be characterized in one of two ways. One, it's to um, counterattack, like I'm irresponsible, what about you? And, and I want to kind of deflect the responsibility towards you. If I am this way, it's because you are that way. So that's one way where we could be defensive. The other way that we could be defensive is to kind of be a martyr and not in the good sense. To be a martyr in the sense that, well, I can't get anything right. No matter how hard I try, you're going to be upset. I just can't get it right with you. It's a way of saying, like, um, I I've really done all that I can, and there isn't really much that I could do here to help you out. And the third, um, the third um, aspect, behavioral issue that comes up in our relationship is contempt. And contempt is a way where we could express anger, but from a place of superiority. I'm speaking down to you and I'm expressing a sense of uh, disgust. And actually, um, this is a very common occurrence within, within marriage, according to the research. Um, um, so contempt could be also nonverbal. It could be eye-rolling, sneering, mocking, uh, making hissing sounds. There are all ways that we could express a deep sense of disgust toward the other person. And actually, the church fathers in the 6th century have figured that out, and I'm going to share it with you. What the, what the desert fathers have taught in the 6th century coincides perfectly with the best research that we have on uh, couples therapy and psychology. Um, and the fourth uh, the fourth aspect of uh, where we could be very unloving in our relationship is called stonewalling. Um, this is a, the people, um, uh, the bottom picture, that's a good image of stonewalling. And actually, stonewalling is a physiological reaction. So typically, um, let's say my rest, 
uh, my resting heart rate, let's say, is like 68. It's probably a little bit better, but I don't want to, um, I don't want to brag. Um, <laughs> let's say it's 68. What the research is suggesting that I can be sitting on the couch during a conflict discussion with my wife and my heart rate can go as high as 160 beats per minute. Do you know what that means? You, you know how I get my heart rate to 160? I go onto the street and I sprint as fast as I can from one end to the street to the other, to the other, right? Like you have to do a lot of physical labor to get your heart rate to be to, uh, to 160 beats per minute. So fighting is a good exercise? Fighting is a good exercise. <laughs> um, um, and so what, what happens when we're stonewalling is that we are physiologically so overwhelmed that we begin parts of our brain that is necessary for a more critical thinking really shuts down because the body is so taxed it's saying, you don't need to be thinking critically. You don't need to be thinking about uh, anything innovative. You just need to survive this moment. And so parts of our critical brain really shut down uh, and we're not able to really engage. And by the way, the research suggests that most of the stonewalling is done by men um, at a very high disproportionate rate. We're talking about 85% of the time it's men. Uh, but I think there's good reason why we do that, like evolutionary good reason why we do that. Um, I wanted to share with you what Dorotheos of Gaza in the 6th century said about contempt. So um, St. Dorotheos, he lays out um, in one of his discourses on judgment, he says there's a difference between judgment condemnation, and then contempt. Judgment is when you say, you know what, I think this person lied about that incident. That's judgment. And then he says, condemnation is when you say, you know what, that person, Bob, he's a liar. You've, you've actually sentenced him to a, 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 a character flaw. And it's kind of a perpetual thing, label, right? But then he says, but there are times we not only condemn, but we also despise a man. For it is one thing to condemn and quite another to despise, as I have said. Contempt adds to condemnation the desire to set someone as nothing, as if the neighbor were a bad smell which has to be get, getting rid of, something disgusting, and that's worse than a rash judgment, right? It's worse than a rash judgment. So actually, uh, both uh, the Gottman research and St. Dorotheos of Gaza are both saying uh, this is um, the worst kind of behavior that we can exhibit in any of our relationships, not just marriage, but think about like coworkers, think about like servants serving with each other, um, that that is the worst behavior that we could actually get into. And we have to guard the heart, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the antidotes to, to contempt. Uh, but Gottman characterizes this as the number one reason for divorce, um, is contempt. 
Uh, and I think Dorotheos of Gaza in the sixth century would give his stamp of approval and say, yes, I didn't need to do the research, but I could tell you that yes, this is it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the anecdotes to the four horsemen. Um, I think you guys have uh, probably heard this at one, one time or another. But this is what I tell this is, this is what I tell people like in therapy session, okay? Um, we have a desire up here and the desire is usually really good. Like I want you to love me. I want to spend time with you. I want us to feel connected. I want us to feel trusting of one another. That's beautiful, great. When the desire is not met or it's not expressed, it goes into complaint. So then we say something like, oh, again, you're going to go out again. Oh, you're going to be on your phone again. It's kind of a complaint. And then when the complaint is not addressed, it goes into criticism. Now we're going to go into more like bringing out the big guns and go toward the character. You know, you're, you're, you, you do act selfish in some ways, don't you? You could see that, right? That you could be selfish sometimes. And then we move from criticism then to contempt. In other words, I don't really care if you spend time with me or not. I don't, I'm not looking for that. But what I always say is like, if you dig underneath contempt, if someone can soften up a little bit, then where, what you get to is a longing, a desire, a good one. Most of the time, it's a really good one. So even when we're contemptuous towards someone else and it's filled with anger and hatred and there's all this kind of stuff, underneath it is a beautiful desire. And if we can get to that and express that, you know, the doors open up for us. So one of the things that we want to do is when we uh, get to a pain point to be able to talk about the heart and not the character of the other person. So someone lets me down, they upset me. Instead of saying like, you know, you're so selfish, you didn't even show up, or you showed up late, you didn't even care. All these things are focused on the other person. I really want to share what's happening inside of me. So I might say something like, I felt really sad, I felt really disappointed when I waited and, and, and didn't get the chance to meet with you. And then I might directly ask for a positive thing. If we can't ask for a positive need, we're probably just complaining. And so if I'm going to bring something up to you, I want to ask myself, okay, I'm upset, I'm sad, I'm disappointed. What's the positive need that I want to make a request uh, about? If I can't come up with one, I probably need to dig a little bit. So my positive need might be that, that I feel respected by you, that, that I spend time with you, that I feel connected to you, that we develop our trust together. That's a positive need, and I can make that request. Um, here's how we struggle with this all the time. This stuff, I always say this, this stuff is simple, but it's not easy. So when I review it with people, they'll say, oh yeah, that's pretty simple. I'll say, great, tell your spouse how you feel and what you're needing. And then they have a really hard time with it. 
because they want to describe what the other person is doing wrong, right? Um, so the, the difference between sharing with our spouse what we're feeling versus what we're thinking is that oftentimes what we're thinking is an evaluation of them. And so it's about the way that you have missed the mark. But that says nothing about my inner state. That says nothing about what's happening within me. And so what we want to share is how we are impacted by things that happen in our lives. And then that way our spouse even gets to know us on a deeper level. Like, I never knew you were sad. I never knew you felt lonely. I never knew you felt betrayed by this. You felt betrayed by this? I had no idea. But that's, that's what we need to be sharing more. And then being able to state a positive request because then we make it fair for our spouse to be able to redeem themselves. To be able to say, yeah, I could hear that. I, I, could, I could respond well to what you're saying. So the focus should be on the heart because it's what needs to change. I like this quote here by St. Macarius the Great. It says, if we keep remembering the wrong which men have done us, we destroy the power of the remembrance of God. But if we remind ourselves of the evil deeds of the demons, we shall be invulnerable. And that's a nice thing too, if, if uh, uh, my wife and I are able to say, hey, look at this is all the ways that that stuff gets in the way between us, that the demons sometimes stir up conflict. Uh, but you and I are a team where we have a partnership. How do we work on this so that that stuff uh, doesn't get in between us? Is a beautiful way to, to think about this. Um, So examples of I statements, I think I already shared some, but I'll just share a couple. So instead of saying, can you stop interrupt, interrupting me? I can't even finish my sentence. I might say, uh, I don't feel heard. I want to be understood on this issue. It's how you feel, and there's a direct request. I don't feel heard right now. I really want to be understood on this issue. Um, you know, if you're sometimes... Um, initiating intimacy can be a, a difficult thing to kind of um, um, to manage and so instead of saying you never touch me except if you want something you're so selfish I could say I love when we hold each other I miss being close to you uh, there's a there's there's an expression of my feelings and then what it is that that I'm asking for Can someone check this out? We need to move to the next slide. Um, so I'm just going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to keep moving along. Um, the next horseman was defensiveness. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, antidote to defensiveness. So uh, the obvious answer is take responsibility at least for a small part. So when someone, if my spouse brings up a grievance and says, you know, um, 
I felt disappointed earlier on today because I needed help and, you know, I didn't feel like I got a lot of help. Um, even if I disagree, here's the thing that I think we, we, we get stuck on. Even if I disagree with her evaluation, I have to know that she's a separate entity from me. That she has her own thoughts, her own feelings, and her own experience of the same event. And so, um, just because I don't experience the event in the same way as the other, it doesn't mean that it's not true for that other person. Arshi, how are we doing on time? Um, okay, so, so in terms of defensiveness, taking responsibility, I always say like, here's the, the pie, you need to take a slice. If, if you want to build trust, if you want to be an accountable person in the relationship, you need to take a slice. And so even if the other person has done so much wrong, if they bring up their hurt, I need to be able to say something like, I could see that when I walked away from this conversation, it made things worse, and I probably could have done something better. That's a slice of the pie. I don't have to say, I was wrong about everything that happened yesterday, because that's probably not true, and I won't be honest in saying that. But I could say, at this very specific thing, I don't think I handled that very well. I think I could have done that better, and I apologize. I want to do better next time. Um, if we probably had another hour, I would share with you how I think confession is the best antidote to defensiveness. And all, all of the four horsemen, really. But, but really quickly, think about what you do in confession. So prior to going to confession, I grab something to write with, and then I evaluate my relationship with God, with my wife, with my children, and I don't even have to take it further than that. I, 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 I'm at an emotional collapse by that time, right? But something amazing happens. I sit in front of a human being, and I say, hey, I appreciate that you're here. I need you to witness to this. And then I verbalize to God all the things that I have betrayed him, betrayed my wife, betrayed my children, betrayed my friends. That's one aspect, important, but not the most important. The next most important thing is, then I receive love as that person who has betrayed all the people that I love. So think about what we're doing when we're being defensive, is we're saying, if I admit that I am this bad, I risk losing you. That's one way to think about it right? You say, hey, you said this thing, you said this bad thing about me. I didn't, no, I didn't say that. I said this. I didn't say that. Because essentially, if I admit that, I risk losing you. And what confession says is bring the worst of you and you'll get the best of God's love. It's not the best because he is discriminately giving me something better than giving you is that I will experience it as the best love ever. Because it won't be my polished self, it'll be my worst self. 
that I think other people will be repulsed by. I'll be loved in that, that person. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think if we practice this, the sacrament of confession and repentance, we're gonna, we're gonna start like moving more smoother in this area of defensiveness. That, that would be my, my hypothesis. The other thing is like, um, you remember what we say in daily prayer, like though, forgive us with those sins which we committed intentionally and unintentionally. Like if you think that you shouldn't say sorry for something you did unintentionally, why are you praying that? You should just say, God, forgive me for those sins that I committed intentionally, knowingly and openly. Right? Because that's the only thing I'm accountable for. But if I unintentionally hurt my wife, I don't get to apologize for that. I didn't mean it. Right? It doesn't work that way. Um, okay. Examples of taking responsibility. It might sound like, hey... I was stressed. I let that carry over into our conversation. That's not fair to you. I'm really sorry. I can see why things felt scary for you. I'm sorry I wasn't careful with my words. I get that. You're right. Um, I, ha I could have been more helpful and supportive in that moment, and I chose not to. I'm really sorry. Right? Um, or just saying, I'm sorry. That works. It works for most people. It doesn't work with me, but it works with most people. I want more of an elaborative, uh, but I'm, I'm a difficult person to deal with. Uh, okay, contempt. So we talked about contempt. It's the number one killer of our relationship. We have to be so careful. I love, there, there was a Protestant author who said, have contempt for contempt. The only thing that you're allowed to have contempt for is contempt. So we have to really be aware that when we're upset, what's our what is our face doing? What is our gestures doing? Are we expressing this sense of like disgust and, and judgment, harsh judgment toward the other person? Um, wh when I first looked into the research and, and uh, the Gottman was saying that the antidote to contempt is uh, creating a culture of appreciation I said, that's a big jump. That doesn't make sense. That seems like step 26. Like what happened to the, like you're going to, if you enter into someone's marriage and the husband and wife are speaking to each other with so much disgust and disrespect, you're going to walk in there and go, why, why don't you guys just really like appreciate each other? <laughs> just wake up and go, it's so lovely to have you next to me in bed. Right? It seemed like a big jump, but, but this is what I love about this stuff. This is what the saints say to do. When you think about, uh, even in the gospel, um, the short guy climbing the tree. When you think about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus um, doesn't turn from extorting people to saying, I'm going to stop doing this bad behavior. He doesn't do that. He says, whomever I have wronged, I will pay back four folds. 
And, 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 and a lot of the, the saints' writing is, if, you, if you're a thief, be charitable and give to people, right? Um, and so what, what I really love is that um, in order for us to move away from contempt, we have to be intentional about creating a culture of appreciation. And so, you know, Gaman has this ratio of 20 to 1. Like, we should have 20 positive interaction every time we have one critical one. So we're constantly looking for ways to say, hey, thank you so much for this cup of coffee. I appreciate you thinking of me in this way. Thank you so much for your text earlier. We are constantly, like, catching our spouse doing something good and something pleasing. And, and we're verbalizing that. Like, some people say, yeah, I know, I, I think... I think very well of you all the time. I just don't say it. It's like, well, we need to say it. We need to let the other person know and create that culture of appreciation. Um, I know we're running out of time. Let me see where we're at. Okay. Um, so with stonewalling, um, one of the things that we have to remember is um, when we're when we're having a serious conversation and we're getting worked up to take a break just to say hey i don't think i'm going to be my best self right now can we take a break can we come back and talk about this tonight can we talk about this tomorrow morning after coffee that's perfectly okay and i know that you've been told don't go to bed angry with your spouse uh, you could go to bed angry as long as you have a plan to work it out in the morning that you're not running you're not running away um, this is a beautiful quote, and then I think we'll, we'll wrap it up and see if you have any questions. Uh, John Cassian was saying, no matter what provokes it, anger blinds the soul's eyes, preventing it from seeing the sun of righteousness. Leaves, whether of gold or lead, placed over the eyes obstruct the sight equally, for the value of the gold does not affect the blindness it produces. Similarly, anger, whether reasonable or unreasonable, obstructs our spiritual vision so he says whether you're justified or not justified doesn't matter whether you have a gold leaf or a lead leaf that's not the point the point is it obstructs your vision to see the good in the relationship and to see the good that's working in your life right so in terms of anger one of the the best thing that we can do is lord help me to see the goodness of my spouse lord help me to see where i need to change in this area um Yeah, and, and then so the, the question is like, what if I do all these things and it doesn't change my spouse? Because they're whatever. Um, is, it's not meant to change your spouse. It's meant to change you. And I think I was talking to Arshi about this. Like, we, we think that people enter into the monastery have to do this like a lot of internal work and the demons battle them and um, they're fighting and they're keeping vigils and they're doing all this work and then we get married and then we're, our evaluation is I don't think I'm happy I need to feel more happy it's like what happened to all the ascetical struggles that you were taught in the church growing up well yeah I know but I didn't go in the monastery I got married it's like 
Yeah, but the ascetical work is the stuff that we've been talking about. It's cultivating the heart, is, is pay attention to your judgment, to your anger, to your resentment, and cultivating love. And we can do it in, in some of the practical ways that uh, I, in a haste, uh, shared with you. Uh, glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, if you have any questions or corrections, concerns, you could bring it up. Um, <laughs> You could pay me in Orban. Uh, any questions, comments before we end? Okay, Arshi's going to pray for